Engaging conversation on the most urgent problem of our day and what you can do about it. Now, the End Abortion Podcast by Priests for Life. Primetime News. Today is Friday, July 14th. I'm Leslie Palmer. And I'm Teresa Watson. We're so happy you've joined us tonight. In our top story, we report on the death of a newborn twins who were found in a garbage bag in the bathroom of a daycare center where their 29-year-old mother worked. We'll speak to pro-lifers from Michigan about why a teen group was told it could not march in the National Cherry Festival Parade in Traverse City. In Abortion in the News, Leslie will tell you about the latest state willing to protect babies with beating hearts and the fate of a Nebraska woman who illegally helped her teenage daughter abort a baby at 29 weeks. In political news in a nutshell, Teresa will tell you Virginia Governor Glenn Youngkin's plan to increase Republican voter turnout in the state and what presidential hopeful Ron DeSantis has decided about the August 23rd debate. Will he or won't he? We'll close the show with an interview with Dr. Paul Saba, a pro-life physician who, with his, his wife, resisted efforts to abort their daughter. I promise it's worth your time to stay tuned in. Chicago law enforcement authorities have yet to classify the deaths last week of twin newborn girls who were found unresponsive in the bathroom of a daycare center. An employee apparently gave birth to the girls alone in the bathroom, where the twins were later found in a black plastic garbage bag. The babies were alive but unresponsive when they were discovered, and later were declared dead at Lori Children's Hospital. Results of an autopsy have yet to been released, and police are not saying how far along in her pregnancy the mother was before giving birth to the twins. The baby girls were discovered just before 7 p.m. on July 6th by a maintenance worker at Bright Horizons Daycare, where the twins' 29-year-old mother works. When the mom missed a class she takes at the center, employees went to look for her and found her at about 6 p.m. on the floor of the bathroom covered in blood. Her dying babies were not found for another hour. Bright Horizons operates the Bernice E. Lavin Childhood Educational Center at Northwestern Memorial Hospital, meaning the mother was very close to medical help had she sought it. Under the safe haven law, in force in Illinois, the mom would have been able to legally surrender her daughters if she felt she could not care for them. Safe haven laws were put in place in every state in the United States in an effort to stop moms in crisis from abandoning their newborns, making this tragedy in Chicago even more horrifying. The National Cherry Festival in Traverse City, Michigan is a very big deal. Some 500,000 people attend the annual celebration of the small red fruit with events including the crowning of the Cherry Queen, live music and air show and the Community Royale Parade. A pro-life group that has been taking part in the event for years was told the night before the July 6th parade they could not march. National Cherry Festival Executive Director Kate Pei said in a statement that, quote, our rules prevent us from allowing social or political entities from marching in our parade. We are not endorsing nor condoning the organization or their objectives. We are simply following our own policy and rules. Parade organizers originally said they were receiving threats for allowing the pro-lifers in, but are now saying it was a clerical error that permitted the group to secure a spot in the parade. To give us the real story, we have with us tonight Emily Hollabauer, Director of Grand Traverse Area Right to Life, and Mary Messerant of the Grand Traverse Area Teens for Life. Welcome to the show, ladies. Hello. So Emily, set the stage for us. Why is the Cherry Festival so important to the area? The Cherry Festival is a huge event for Traverse City um, yearly. 
um, it's a national cherry festival. It's not just a uh, like a city festival or anything like that. Um, thousands upon thousands of people come for this. People from all over the world come to our festival. Well, Mary, why did your group want to participate? And did you do a lot of planning uh, for the event? Yeah, so our group really likes to do this because we have a lot of fun doing it. We get our band to come out and you know, the percussion just has so much fun playing. We all have fun. But I think the most important thing is showing that there is still people, like young people that really care about lives, which is why we got these shirts. And a lot of planning went into it because obviously you can see we got shirts and we, got shirts. <laughs> we coordinate stuff. So. so tell us, how did you find out that you wouldn't be marching? So I actually found out the morning of, I woke up to a text from my friend and my first thought was that she was playing a prank on me or something. And then I later saw her that day and found out that she wasn't joking. And so we kind of had to spread the word and I'm secretary. So I had to send out an email at like noon that day to tell everybody that we weren't marching. Wow. So Emily, were you surprised? I actually was very surprised uh, um, the night of when we, when we heard about it. Um, I did not think this was going to happen. We had been approved for weeks to be in this festival and it was a verbal conversation with the parade organizer himself about what we were going to do and what we weren't going to do in the parade. Um, I thought we were fine to be in it. We received our lineup number the week before. Um, we were ready to go. So yes, I was very surprised, very shocked at this decision. Yeah. And, you, and the group has marched previously, right? Yes, that's correct. Yeah. So now what are, what are you planning for next year? Will you try to for a spot again? I don't know at this time what we'll do for next year. Well, I'm very sorry that happened to you. Thank you. Yeah. Well, we want to thank both of you so much for, for making the time to join us and, and sharing what really happened. And um, you have your work cut out for you, obviously, in Michigan. So our prayers are with you and our gratitude uh, for all that you do. So thank you very much. Good night. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Iowa Governor Kim Reynolds called the legislature into special session this week with the express purpose of passing a law protecting babies from abortion. Late Tuesday night, the Republican-led House and Senate passed a heartbeat bill banning abortion at about six weeks when a heartbeat can be detected. The governor signed the bill today. Justice for the unborn should not be delayed, the governor said moments after the bill passed. The law will go into effect immediately, replacing the current law that allows abortion until 20 weeks. Planned Parenthood and the ACLU filed a lawsuit in an attempt to overturn the law even before Reynolds signed it. Planned Parenthood isn't letting the new law get in its way. The nation's number one abortion seller has announced plans to expand in three Iowa cities, Cedar Rapids, Ames, and Iowa City. A Nebraska woman has pleaded guilty to illegally helping her daughter obtain abortion pills and then burning and burying the baby in a field. The Associated Press reported that under a plea agreement, 42-year-old Jessica Burgess admitted to providing an abortion after 20 weeks of gestation, false reporting, and tampering with human skeletal remains. Charges of concealing the death of another person and abortion by someone other than a licensed physician were dis dismissed. The mother and daughter sent Facebook messages back and forth about their plans to get the quote thing out of then 17-year-old Celeste Burgess's body. The teen also wrote about looking forward to being able to wear jeans again after aborting her child at 29 weeks. Celeste Burgess pleaded guilty in May to removing, concealing, or abandoning a dead body. She faces two years in prison when sentenced on Thursday. Her mom will be sentenced September 22nd. 
A Wyoming college student charged with setting fire to an abortion business in Casper while it was under construction has reached a plea agreement with federal prosecutors. Lorna Green, 22, said she was experiencing anxiety and having nightmares over the impending opening of the Wellspring Health Access Abortion Mill, so decided to burn it, burn it to the ground. The killing center was slated to open in May 2022, but did not kill its first patients until April of this year. Wyoming has passed two laws to protect babies, one banning the pills used in a chemical abortion and another outlawing nearly, nearly all abortions. Both laws were blocked by a judge while legal challenges against them make their way through the courts. The details of Green's plea agreement have not been released. U.S. Senator Tommy Tuberville, a Republican from Alabama, said the White House refuses to meet with him over its controversial and likely illegal policy of paying for travel costs and providing paid time off for active duty military personnel to have abortions. Tuberville vowed in April to hold up military promotions until the policy is rescinded, and now, for the first time in 150 years, the U.S. Marine Corps is without a leader. Tuberville told CNN he will not back down. I'm not going to change my approach, he said. I've told them all along where we stood. I'm not changing my mind. I've had zero conversations with the White House, 10 minutes with Secretary of Defense, and hopefully we'll get more conversations in the future, but I'm not changing my mind. The Daily Wire reports that Biden's nominee for the Marine Corps top spot, General Eric Smith, has already assumed the post in an acting capacity. The state of Idaho is being sued over its law making it illegal to help a minor have an abortion without her parents' consent. The Northwest Abortion Action Fund, the Indigenous Idaho Alliance, and the attorney Lourdes Matsumoto want to be able to continue helping minor girls have abortions, so they filed suit against the law, the first of its kind in the nation that was enacted in May. Idaho also has a law in place protecting most babies from abortion, which has led women to seek abortion in neighboring states like Oregon and Washington. The FDA has approved the first over-the-counter birth control pill. Perigo, which makes the O-pill, will start shipping the abortifacient drug to pharmacies early next year. There will be no age restrictions. O-pill is from an older class of hormonal contraceptives that contain a single synthetic hormone, progestin. The FDA said this type of pill has fewer side effects than more popular combination hormone pills. The approval for over-the-counter sales came over objections from some FDA scientists. According to the Associated Press, there were problems with the reliability of some of the company's data on the drug, and the scientists questioned whether women with certain medical conditions would understand that it could be harmful to them. The pill is linked to increases in breast and cervical cancers, heart attacks, blood clots, and liver tumors. And finally, some good news. The Christian Broadcasting Network reported that a federal court in Texas tossed out a lawsuit by the Satanic Temple that argued aborting unborn babies is a satanic ritual, and therefore the state's pro-life law violates its members' First Amendment rights. The original lawsuit stated that, quote, the satanic abortion ritual is a sacrament which surrounds and includes the abortive act. It is designed to combat feelings of guilt, doubt, and shame, and to empower the member to assert or reassert power and control over their own mind and body. But Texas don't play that, with the court calling the case cryptic and lacking merit. And that's abortion in the news. Republican Virginia Governor Glenn Youngkin announced on Tuesday a new effort in his state designed to encourage Republicans and swing voters to vote absentee by mail or early in person. The program, called Secure Your Vote Virginia, makes Youngkin the latest in a group of list of Republicans to push early voting after the party endured a disappointing 2022 midterm cycle. It also follows a multi-year attack on early and mail-in voting by former President Donald Trump and many of his allies. 
the data-driven effort would target Republican and swing voters and would actually urge them to cast their ballots via absentee mail or during early in-person voting. The effort was intended to boost turnout of those voters ahead of the November elections this year in the state, during which control of both chambers of the state legislature will be at stake and would help Republican candidates in future elections as well. Lawmakers on Capitol Hill are scheduled to debate voting and election bills coming to the floor in the coming weeks that intend to set the landscape for the consequential 2024 presidential election. Democrats are preparing to introduce proposals that would give authority to the federal government to determine how states conduct elections, allowing Congress to set nationwide voting standards. House Republicans, however, are scheduled to release a proposal that would tighten voting laws and ensure states maintain primary control over elections. On Monday, the GOP is scheduled to introduce the American Confidence in Elections Act, which Representative Brian Steele, a Wisconsin Republican who chairs the House Administration Committee, called the most con conservative election bill to be considered in the House in over 20 years. The GOP legislation would encourage states to review voter lists, conduct post-election audits, prohibit election officials from sending unrequested absentee ballots, and enact checks on voter eligibility. It also would end the Washington, D.C. policy of allowing non-citizens to vote for local offices. The Republican proposal falls in line with many GOP-led state legislatures that have added ID requirements to mail-in voting, curtailed or banned the use of ballot drop boxes, and limited the ability of someone to retain a ballot on behalf of someone else. While Democrats harshly criticized the legislation, saying it could result in voter suppression, Republicans pointed to the 2022 midterms and solid voter turnout as a refutation of these concerns. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis has confirmed that he will join his fellow candidates on stage at the first Republican presidential primary debate next month, regardless of whether the frontrunner, former President Donald Trump, shows up. I'll be there regardless. I hope everybody who's eligible comes, DeSantis 44 told Fox News tonight on Thursday, despite past indications from his super PAC that he might skip the proceedings if Trump declined to debate. I think it's an important part of the process, and I look forward to being able to be on the stage and introducing our candidacy and our vision and our leadership to a wide audience, he added. At least five GOP candidates have met the fundraising qualifications for the August 23rd showdown in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, which Fox News will broadcast and host. The Republican National Committee, which is also sponsoring the debate, is making each candidate sign a pledge to not participate in non-party sanctioned debates and to support the party's eventual nominee. Trump has declined to say whether he would sign the pledge, noting that his support for any GOP nominee would depend on who the nominee was. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis said Tuesday he would not be interested in running as former President Donald Trump's running mate if Trump does win the 2024 nomination. GOP presidential candidate and North Dakota Governor Doug Burgum said Sunday that he would not sign a federal abortion ban if he was elected to the White House. Well, my position is that I support the Dobbs decision. 
And this is the decision that should be left to the states, Bergam told NBC Chuck Todd on Meet the Press. And what's going to pass in North Dakota is not ever going to pass in California and New York and wouldn't even pass in the state of Minnesota. And that's why I'm on the record saying I would not sign a federal abortion ban. There's still a year and a half until Election Day 2024, but like the past two elections, the 2024 presidential contest looks like it will be a jump ball. In U.S. News First 50-state analysis of the 2024 election cycle, we see 240 electoral votes for president leaning or stronger to the Democrats and 235 electoral votes leaning or stronger to the Republicans. With 270 of the 538 electoral votes required to win the presidency, this means victory will hinge on five toss-up states plus one toss-up congressional district in a state that allocates its electoral votes by district. The five toss-up states are Arizona, Georgia, Wisconsin, Nevada, and Pennsylvania, plus the second congressional district of Nebraska, centered on Omaha. Collectively, they're home to the 63 electoral votes that we see as determining the winner. Texas State Senator Roland Gutierrez, a San Antonio Democrat, is launching a bid for the U.S. Senate with the hope of challenging U.S. Senator Ted Cruz in 2024. Gutierrez gained attention during the last legislative session for his gun restrictions following the mass shooting in Uvalde, Texas, that left 19 children and two teachers dead. Cruz, who is seeking a third term, is seen as one of the few vulnerable Senate Rep Republicans in next year's elections. He beat El Paso Democrat Beto O'Rourke in 2018 by less than three percentage points. No Democrat has been elected to the U.S. Senate from Texas since 1988. A Georgia state representative has switched her political allegiance from the Democrats to the Republicans, citing a change of heart and values. Misha Maynard was elected in 2020 to represent the citizens of House District 56 and the Democratic stronghold of Atlanta, where she is originally from. She ran and won her primary by over 20 percentage points, successfully campaigning for issues including mental health, the environment, and government accountability, according to her campaign website. Her shift in partisanship is expected to provide more power to the current Republican majority in the Georgia House of Representatives. Maynard stated that as a lifelong Democrat, I blindly followed a vision that is far from reality. It is time to put people and sound policy above politics and false narratives. And that's political news in a nutshell. I would like you to watch the introduction to a very special book entitled Made to Live. So Jessica is feeding right now. And how many days is she? How old is Jessica today? The title really came out of the inspiration of my daughter. And the story of, of my daughter started back in 2009. Before she was born at uh, 20 weeks on the ultrasound, the medical team took us aside and said, you know, we're sorry to say this, but your future baby has a severe problem a severe congenital malformation and we said well what do you mean by that they said well she doesn't have a viable heart and she probably has has down syndrome and we really question whether she's going to have any quality of life and whether she could even survive 
And so they said to us that you should consider your, your medical options. And I said, uh, medical options, what do you mean? Well, if you're going to terminate the pregnancy, you should do it now. We did another ultrasound 24 weeks, four weeks later, and it was the same conclusion. And we said, absolutely not. We're, we're not going to terminate this pregnancy. As my wife says, I've done everything to get the pregnancy as far as, as I have, and you're going to do everything for, for my baby. The greatest abandonment is giving up on people, and the worst way of abandoning is killing them, either through assisted suicide or euthanasia, or through abortion. So that's what the story is, is how every human life is valuable, whether you're pre-born, after birth, or even at the end of a, of a long life. But never give up, always have hope. You are valuable because you are made to live. I have with me tonight the author of Made to Live, Dr. Paul Saba. Dr. Saba is a Canadian-American physician and currently practices medicine in his birthplace of Montreal. He speaks out as a doctor, devout Christian, husband, father, and advocate for life. Welcome to the show, Dr. Saba. Thank you for inviting me. Well, Dr. Saba, what made you write this book, Made to Live? Really, the uh, inspiration of the book came uh, uh, after my daughter's birth. Uh, prior to her birth at uh, 20 and 24 weeks on ultrasound, uh, they um, called us into a room and said, we, ha we have grave concerns and uh, you should cons consider your medical options. Uh, they described having a, a child with a severe congenital heart malformation and probably Downs. Uh, and uh, th that's code word for um, options is abortion. And we were very clear and we, uh, my wife and I said, uh, if God has given us uh, a child who has uh, problems, uh, he'll also give us the means to uh, get through it, uh, and, but we will not consider abortion. And uh, even up to the time of delivery, uh, they, um, they asked my wife, uh, they contacted her and they said uh, to her, they asked her, they said, if the baby's born uh, with these problems, uh, how aggressively do you want us to care for her after her birth? And my wife said, I've done everything to bring uh, Jessica, as we'd given her name, uh, to this point, uh, you're going to do everything for my baby. So uh, the, the actual title of the book, uh, uh, Made to Live, came when my daughter was seven. By the way, she underwent uh, two heart procedures at six days and uh, uh, 11 months and um, has turned out amazing. Uh, we, um, they had even asked us if we wanted to do uh, amniocentesis. That's where they check in the fluid for if the child is Downs or has some other abnormalities. And we said no, because we didn't want to uh, cause damage because it can actually miscarry. Uh, uh, she was born with a heart. She did not have Downs, but uh, the many parents with Downs babies are very happy because they have children who are amazing children. When Jessica was seven uh, years old, I really wanted to get her off the computer. I said, honey, why don't you draw a picture of our family? Of course, she went on the computer and did it. And what she drew uh, really uh, surprised me. Uh, she wrote, uh, dad, mom, sis, me, Jessica, and above it, she entitled it Made to Live. And that really um, inspired me to write the book. As I said, Jessica, you're made to live. Uh, we're all made to live. That's God's plan for us. Do we eventually face the end of our life? Yes, but he wants us to enjoy life 
to the fullest and not prematurely end life either at the beginning, conception, or at the end of life uh, when people are facing health challenges. Well, abortion is legal in Canada up to the moment of birth with no federal restrictions. So you've condemned Canada's abortion on demand. Um, what are you particularly concerned about regarding these lack of restrictions on abortion? Well, I think that um, that life is valuable. Every life is valuable. Um, people often, and you know, and I, and I look at the uh, whenever I've written articles, and I wrote an article in AP. It was published in AP Newswire. Support women who want to keep their babies. Um, and you look at the reasons women uh, choose to abort, often under under fear, fear that they don't have the financial means, and they may not. Uh, have you know, seventy-three uh, percent of, of women say that they they um, have chosen to abort because they financially uh, concerns. Uh, then they ask them other reasons: educational runs high, uh, lack of career opportunities, um, congenital malformations around fourteen percent, thirteen percent, like in our case. Uh, another. 14% of partners don't want the baby. When you add these numbers, this goes beyond 100%. This was actually done by Guttmacher Institute back in 2005, which is a pro-abortion organization. And they use that to justify abortion. So I say, let's change those um, conditions so that women will not be under financial stress, uh, have career opportunities closed to them uh, or educational. Um, and let's support them financially. Companies, for example, like Amazon, who say we're willing to pay for abortions, uh, you know, in states where it's 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 more difficult to access. Um, let these companies give women decent salaries, working conditions, so they can afford to have their babies. When they pay them just the you know barely survivable uh, salaries, that's unfair. Governments need to also federal governments need to also step up and, and help and help uh, support, especially these large companies, provide all the conditions and supports. See, the, in, even in the US, as well as Canada, studies have shown uh, in the case of abortion in the US that it's it's financially, it, it, it makes money, it sends money sense for the government to, to abort babies, especially uh, uh, women who come from disadvantaged groups, minority groups, um, they, because that's the way they can pay less Medicaid uh, expenses. No, we, we need to we need to ramp up the support for these women, educate them and say, listen, we're going to help you. If you don't want to keep the baby, we'll help you to adopt it. But we'll make sure that you're not in, in, in social distress. In Canada, I, uh, there was a case this year, a 38-week-old uh, baby who was uh, aborted uh, for uh, what they call uh, social distress. And it's actually, in, in, you know, or even our directives in this province, medical directives, allows it. It's a, it's the third trimester abortion, right up to the day, almost the day of birth. Could be, <coughs> it could be the day of birth, <coughs> or social distress. That means a person can't afford housing. And we also we are facing these similar situations, uh, uh, very similar for for assisted suicide and euthanasia, where so people are choosing to be euthanized in Canada. Uh, because of social distress. Well, what are the, some of the challenges you face uh, being a pro-life physician, a person of faith, and uh, in Prime Minister Justin Trudeau's Canada? Yeah, well, you know, I, I pray for Justin Trudeau. I, I pray that he has a St. Paul to Damascus experience. And we need to pray for people who, who are really lost, who, are, who, are, who advocate against life. They, 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 God has to change their hearts. Um, 
what I try to do uh, through my book is promote life. I talk about my experiences. Uh, first, my personal experience with Jessica that gives a, a, a real life story, uh, and how we we pursued uh, right till present. She's uh, she's fourteen. Uh, this is a picture, uh, a recent picture, and you can see her right in the middle. Uh, that's Jessica, my wife, my son, and my other daughter right next to me, Eliana. Um, uh, Jessica, uh, my daughter Eliana named it, means God sees. So God sees ahead, you know. He, he wants us to, to promote life. Um, I write about my book. I talk about patients who were told that they had terminal illness, they had cancer, for example, and they didn't have cancer. So it's not only just uh, telling people, you know, just to plod along, but we, we need to support you, right? right? And you may, the diagnosis may be wrong. We know that uh, there are 20% errors in diagnosing people who we say are end of life. Uh, they tell them they have cancer and they don't have cancer. And I talk about some of those real life cases in my in my book. Um, my father-in-law, I give his example. He was uh, back in 2010. He was in um, he was diagnosed with a severe form of bowel cancer. Uh, had, was operated. Things went from bad to worse. Was on a ventilator for at least three weeks, and um, the. Uh, the prognosis looked very dim. Uh, today, things have turned things turned around, and he does Italian gardening. Uh, he uh, he makes Italian pizzas. He's Italian background. He's born in Italy, um, and um, and his life is uh, is amazing. He's constantly spending time with his his grandchildren. He loves them, uh, teaches them the Italian gardening, teaches them Italian pizza making. You know. He likes to compare his tomatoes to mine because mine are, are minuscule, his are gigantic. I'm not a, I'm not a good gardener. Um, and so uh, I, I think as a physician, I always talk to people. I say, I, I believe in life. You know, if you're coming to me uh, because you, you know, you want to have an abortion, I, I would uh, strongly dissuade you and try to show you, uh, you, you, you have the right to have an abortion. We're living in Canada. You have the right to be euthanized. You live in Canada. Uh, but this is the wrong way to go. And I give them stories of uh, situations that have changed. And I think we need to also have a narrative uh, in the public and, and, you know, in the churches, for example. Uh, I spoke to one pastor. He said uh, his research showed that 90% of churches uh, don't discuss any of these, what they call sensitive topics. Well, I mean, it's sensitive. Life is sensitive. You know, God gave us life so that you can say that's very sensitive. Um, you know, if, and if he was politically correct, he probably wouldn't have never given life because it's too politically, uh, too, too many, <laughs> too sensitive, you know. Um, so we, we, we really need to have a public discussion in the, in, the, in the churches and we need to carry on the discussion, not be afraid. If a, uh, recently we had a friend who financially, uh, she had a son, you know, um, and then she has second pregnancy, uh, you know, was not married and she was concerned. Um, so that we, um, we encouraged her and we, we said we would support her and we've provided whatever supports we can for her and other people have, and she decided to keep the baby and she's very devout Catholic, but you know, she, she got involved in a, in a wrong relationship and, uh, and we supported and as a church, we can't be judging people and make them feel badly if they, you know, if they're, if they get pregnant in a, in a, in a situation, they're not married or in a bad relationship. Uh, we need to support them. Say, listen, this is a life. It's not the child's uh, fault that the th things happen like this, and you, you'll have a child that you can love and care for. And if the child has a congenital problem that they pick up, 
um, uh, it, that's not the end. Let's let's carry it along and and support and provide whatever it needs. So, Doctor, um, you showed us a beautiful picture of Jessica. Your whole family is beautiful, and you mentioned she's fourteen. Can you just give us a quick update on her health? Uh, it's it's amazing. Her, her her cardiologist. We still go to the cardiologist. He says, "Listen, it's more of a social visit, and to reassure you that everything is good." Um, he said, I wouldn't know that she had a heart problem uh, unless I had the uh, file in front of me. Uh, she's bright. She's energetic. Uh, she loves life. Uh, uh, and um, and you never know outcomes. And that's why we got to give every life a chance from the beginning to the end of life, because we never know outcomes. We don't know. And even with people with uh, face with uh, very severe conditions, there's always new treatments that come up. You know, I give the example because in, in Belgium, they passed the euthanasia law. Uh, for children with cystic fibrosis and 9-11 year old uh, that were um, youth, uh, euthanized. That's where you give the injection assisted suicide where the doctor writes a prescription and you take it at home. Um, and uh, shortly after a new drug came out uh, that totally reverses and cures uh, cystic fibrosis. So I, I often ask myself, what would the parents have done if they had known, would they have allowed their child to be euthanized? They knew a new treatment was coming. Uh, around the bend a few months later. And and that's modern medicine's concept. They even just recently developed a new treatment uh, for early Alzheimer's that reverses it. You know, so, you know, all these people lining up to be euthanized. And in Canada, they're, they're doing it for, uh, for like social housing. A woman with multiple chemical sensitivities recently was euthanized, a young woman. Uh, there was a GoFundMe for because she couldn't afford the proper housing. And a woman who was told, we'll give you euthanasia because you're disabled, um, uh, you have to wait 90 days, but you have to wait six to nine months for housing and, and financial support. So she, she uh, is considering it and they, they did a GoFundMe page for her, which I, uh, I posted on my Facebook. Um, so, you know, it, once you open the door, uh, it's, it's a Pandora's box. And, and we, in the US, I say, you know, I'm, I'm a, as you mentioned, I'm an American Canadian. Uh, don't follow Canada's example. It's a it's a it's a bad way to it's a wrong road to go down. Don't do that. And in the same way for abortion, don't do that either for euthanasia or for abortion. Uh, uh, value life, support life. Uh, don't make things uh, open up because uh, uh, the barriers they come whatever barriers you said. Because when uh, euthanasia first came into um, in 2016. Um, we've, we've had, uh, over 50,000 deaths in, from that, uh, it was supposed to be only for terminal illnesses. They didn't even use the word terminal. They say foreseeable, uh, end of life. Uh, and now it's for anything. You don't have to have a, a life ending condition. Uh, you just can have a disability and starting in March of, uh, next year, it'll be for people with any mental health challenges. Well, Dr. Saba, before we say goodbye, where can our audience buy the book made to live? Well, I, I spoke about Amazon in not so many glowing terms, but it's available on Amazon. It's also at Barnes & Noble. You can go on our website to find other places, uh, uh, madetolive.com, all one word, um, and you can find where you, you can purchase the book. And it's, uh, it's under $20, uh, so it's, it's affordable. Thank you. So please be sure to join us next week when Dr. Saba joins us again to discuss Canada's medical assistance in dying regime which he describes as barbaric, unconstitutional, and inherently predatory towards the poor and suffering. Dr. Saba, thank you so much for joining us. We look forward to chatting with you next week. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it.
Thank you so much for joining us on Pro-Life Primetime News, produced at Priest for Life headquarters in Titusville, Florida. We hope you'll tune in every Friday at 9 p.m. And tonight we welcome a new producer, Neil Naharis. If you like our show, please support us by making a donation to ProLifeGift.org. These donations help fund all of our work here at Priest for Life, which enables us to continue educating, equipping, and activating God's people to end abortion. For all your pro-life news updates during the week, please follow us on Twitter at Pro-Life News Show. I'm Teresa Watson, Executive Manager. I'm Leslie Palmer, Communications Director. Remember, life is the only choice. This has been the End Abortion Podcast. To learn more, to help end abortion, and to connect with us on social media, visit endabortion.net.